Hello, my beautiful boons of life. Welcome to today's episode. This episode is all about ambition. What is ambition and how to get more of ambition? I'm going to talk about where does it come from? Is it, are you born with it or do you learn it? Um, I'm going to break it all down. And obviously the ambition that I'm referring to is, you know, in getting what you want in life, in sticking it out, in working towards something and having that determination, that grit, that drive, that motivation, that kind of ambition, that is what I'm referring to. So that's going to be the topic of today's episode. Uh, Quick little, I'll do a quick life update, very quick, and then a quick brain fact, which is very fascinating, this brain fact. You're going to love it. You're going to be here for it. Life update, I was in Melbourne over the weekend and oh my God, that was such a time. So I was in Melbourne for my friends, Lucy and Nikki. They have a podcast called Happy Hour. You guys, a lot of you guys also do listen to their podcast. And they had their live show down in Melbourne and I was a guest on their live show just for a couple of little segments. We did like a little bit of advice. It was very crazy, very lit. It was a very good time. And can I just say that the listeners of the podcast – well, the girls call – like, so I call you guys my beans and Lucy and Nikki call all their listeners punters. So the punters are the wildest group of people around. Like, oh, my God, what a time to be alive. And I met so many beans as well. There were beans who are also punters in the audience and then at the after party – I met so many of you. I would name you all, but there were just so many and it was absolutely incredible to meet so many of the Melbourne Beans. I absolutely loved it and it's just gotten me so excited to want to do some sort of live either like a get together or some sort of a live show. Obviously I would do my version on it, my take on it, but it's just gotten me really there. What they did has really inspired me to start doing some live events um, in like Sydney, Melbourne, Queensland, that kind of thing. And I really think I should also be going to New Zealand. I've got a hectically strong base of you beans in New Zealand. So that would also be a strong energy. Okay. So That's my update of the week. It was incredible. Melbourne is a vibe. Love you guys so much in Melbourne. I definitely need to go there more often. It is a cool city. Okay, now let's move on to the brain fact of the week. Now, what I want to explain to you guys is the concept of living with half a brain. How hectic does does that sound? So there's this procedure that's called an anatomical hemispherectomy. So basically it's where you get one hemisphere removed through surgery um, and then you're living with half a brain. So how does this fucking work? Like can you actually live with, with only half a brain? Can you live with certain parts of your brain and not others? And the answer is yes, but it depends where in the brain we're talking about. So there's what basically the one part of your brain that you absolutely for sure cannot live without is the brainstem. The brainstem takes care of like it regulates your blood pressure, your heart rate, your breathing. It, It does a lot of those like a lot of the regulation of your vital organs and all of that. So if the brain stem is dead, you are dead. If the brain stem stops working, you it's game fucking over for you. It's not like the heart where people are like, they died on the operating table. No, 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 no. If the brain stem is still functioning, you did not die on the operating table. If your brain stem stopped functioning, then you fucking died, okay? That is that is fucking, it's over, Okay. So you cannot live without your brainstem, but you can live without half of your hemis of your brain's hemisphere. So you've got the cerebrum, and when you look at a picture of the brain, you've got the cerebrum, which is that big lumpy thing with all like the kind of 
sulky and gyre all over it. It looked like big wrinkles. Then you've got that thing that I was talking about the other week, the cerebellum, which is that little lump at the bottom. Then directly underneath and next to the cerebellum, you've got your brainstem, and the brainstem is this thick kind of stem which then tapers down to the spinal cord, which goes all the way down your spine. Okay, So that's kind of the anatomy. The first bit, the cerebrum, you can actually live with half of your cerebrum, which is crazy. So there's this can happen if, the, if there's a patient who has – are seizures that are so often and so bad and are localized to one side of the brain. And also there's a condition called Rasmussen's encephalitis, which causes chronic inflammation of the brain, which is normally localized to one of the hemispheres. Um, When this happens, if it's not treated, not only does that hemisphere get very damaged, but that damage can then spread to the other side of the brain and cause more damage. And of course, separate to that, with or without the damage, if your patient is having seizures constantly, for some people it's every few minutes, of course that's very debilitating. You cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, lead a normal life. So in this situation, if the, if no other treatment works, obviously they're going to try all sorts of treatments, medications first. This is like the last option. But if that is the case, they will go in for something called an anatomical hemispherectomy, okay? And they remove the side of the brain that's having all either the inflammation or all the seizures, right? Now, this is most, it most commonly occurs in children under 10, kind of between the ages of 5 to 10. And this at this age, when you're a child, the brain is surprisingly adaptable and it can adapt to this change. So, your personality can develop normally, you can still have an intact memory, you can still have pretty much all of your cognitive abilities, but because it's happening in early childhood, it's one of the most plastic states that your brain's ever going to be in, to the extent that one half of the brain at this age, when it's so moldable, can reorganize itself and take over what both halves normally do. If you were to have a hemispherectomy as an adult or later stage adult, you're going to notice a lot of deficits, motor deficits, cognitive deficits, potentially memory deficits as well. There's a lot. It'll be a very different story. You can still survive, but it's totally different to if it occurs when you're a child, when your brain is at its most plastic. Now, when this happens, when you have this hemispherectomy, the benefit is, of course, you're not going to get any more seizures. Your life is obviously, if you're not having any more seizures, because of that, you have a more stable life. Your health, your overall health is better. Your focus is better. And you start getting a lot better at cognitive tasks and academic tasks because you can actually focus. You can actually live your life. And because there's not that constant interruption, you're able to um, start building stronger pathways within that side of the brain. Now, when you do have that operation, patients that have had that hemispherectomy, um, the downside of it is, of course, there's going to be some deficits. You're going to lose half of your visual field. So when you talk about half the visual field, you if you look at, for example, take your eyeballs right now, you're looking at the screen. Imagine that you draw a line from the ceiling down to the floor um, on both eyeballs. So from both eyeballs, from that line, whatever is to the left of that line is going to be projected on the right side of your occipital lobes and whatever's projected on the right side is going to be on the left side of the lobe. So it's fucking complicated, but basically when you talk about left visual field, you're talking about the visual field in both eyeballs to the left side. And when you talk about the right visual field, you talk about the visual field in both eyeballs to the right side, okay? So when you lose half your brain, you lose half the vision, 50% of your vision in each eyeball. That's how it works. Um, You also 
the patient normally loses um, the motor skills in the hand, sometimes more than just the hand, sometimes it's the arm or the leg or hip, but definitely always the hand off the opposite side of the the, the hemisphere that was removed because a lot of the things cross over. You've got a lot of crossover, especially with motor and sensory pathways down the, the spinal cord and throughout the brainstem and spinal cord. So if you lose the left side, then you're going to have motor deficits in the right hand. Um, and then really interestingly enough, if you everything else is pretty much intact and everything develops at a pretty normal rate, Except for if you lose the left side of your brain, the left side is generally, in most cases, takes care of language. So if you lose the left side, you're going to have language deficits in speaking and all of that. If you lose the right side, then you're not going to have those same deficits. And the right side does take over a little bit and tries to rewire and adapt, but it's just more localized over to the left side. So with both hemispheres, Normally, most things are pretty identical on each side, but language is heavily localized on the left side of the brain. So losing it, you're going to have more deficits than losing the right side. And then once that half of the brain is removed, that void just gets filled with cerebral spinal fluid. And apart from everything I just mentioned, they can lead a pretty normal life. Their personality stays intact. um, And you just would not know that that person only has half a brain. Um, So yeah. That's a fucking interesting fact, I thought. It's fucking amazing that you could have right in your life right now, you could have met people. I mean, it's not common, but you could have met someone that only has half a brain. It's pretty miraculous that they can do such a procedure. Uh, Yes. Anyway, let's get into the topic of today, which is all about ambition. So first I'm going to explain what ambition is. I'm going to explain the main traits of being ambitious And I'm also going to give you four ways of how to become more ambitious as well. So let's start with the definition. The definition of ambition is, well, I'll give you two definitions. One is a strong desire to do or achieve something. And two is the desire and determination to achieve success, specifically success. So is it inherited or is it learned? So it's this idea of nature versus nurture. There's definitely traits that are going to help you be more ambitious that are inherited. But these traits can also be learnt and can also be worked on to an extent. And there's this published study on the causes and consequences of ambition by Judge and – so I'm just reading out the names here – by Judge and Kama Mueller. And they talk about the main traits. There's four main traits to being ambitious and – in these traits, you're going to notice that some of these things are going to be can be learnt. Just in general, it can be learnt, and some of these things are more nature, not so much nurture. But you can always do stuff to increase your levels of ambition. Okay, so let's break them down. Number one, the first one is neuroticism, and this is what that person, what the person's level of emotional maturity is like. Are they really emotionally mature? Are they really Um, in tune with other people and what's going on around them or is that level really low? Number two is extroversion. How much you like being around other people or how much you like being around groups of people or new people that you haven't met. In general, the more extroverted you are, again, in general, the more extroverted you are, the easier it's going to be to be ambitious. And like I said, there's four things here. So if you're a total introvert and you're super ambitious, that doesn't negate what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in general – 
if you are and amb- if you are extroverted, it helps you be more ambitious. But you might have the other three and not extroversion, and you're still really ambitious, and that's fine. You don't have to have all of these four things. But if you do have all four, it definitely leads. It makes it a lot easier to be more ambitious or to grow your level of ambition. So that's extroversion. Then number three is conscientiousness, and this is the level of consciousness that you need to be to be self-aware and to be disciplined. The more conscious you are of what you're doing, the easier it's going to be to be disciplined. And people don't realize the importance of self-awareness. So many people are just not self-aware. And when I talk about this, what I mean is understanding where your downfalls are, understanding what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for, what you have the ability to change and what you don't have the ability to change. Like it's really easy. And this is what, when I talk about self-awareness, I like to think that pretty much my entire podcast, every episode that I've recorded and put out there has got to do with self-awareness. And I try to get everyone to look at everything from their perspective and from someone else's perspective. So it's very easy when I talk about all these topics about jealousy, about toxic people in a relationship, about behaviors that don't work for people, et cetera, et cetera. I always try and get you guys to, you might identify this in this, in your partner or in your friends or your parents, but you always have to try your best to be as self-aware as possible and think, am I also engaging in these behaviors or am I also blaming other people for certain things or am I also making excuses for this, for that? The more self-aware you are, the more ambitious you are going to be because you're able to take kind of like look at your life for what it is. You're able to lay it all out on the table and you're able to be in a healthy way, critical of what needs to be changed and what needs to be done. If you are not self-aware, you're more likely to put the responsibility or the blame on other people or other factors. And because of that, you're more likely to just sit back and say, well, that's why I couldn't have done anything or that's why nothing's happening or I can't do that or try being me, try doing this, you know, then that's kind of what happens. So you're less likely to be the one pushing forward for action all the time, okay? And then the last one, the last one is general mental ability. And this just refers to not just intellectual ability, but it also refers to what you are exposed to seeing and what you're used to seeing. So often, if you grow up in an environment where you're always seeing your parents being goal-driven or you're seeing your parents have a passion and work hard for something, you are more likely to have ambitious goals as well. Obviously, this is not the case in for everyone. Of course, there are people that grow up in an environment where they have no exposure to that and they, it repulses them and then they just go the other way and they're the most ambitious person anyone has ever seen. But I'm talking about in general terms. Everything I talk about is obviously in general terms. If you are around people that are hardworking and driven, and this doesn't necessarily mean at the top of their field or making a lot of money, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone that has a passion and a drive and they're willing to work towards that consistently day in, day out, you are more likely to look at those traits and absorb those traits and become like that as well, okay? So if you look at your friendship groups, if you're saying, oh, I'm really not ambitious, I'm really not ambitious, I wish I was, pay attention to who you're hanging around with. Are you hanging around with people that are also kind of like you or are you hanging around people that everyone is ambitious, everyone's driven, everyone's this, everyone's that? You know, I'm not saying change your friends, but if you don't have anyone that's ambitious, maybe try and gravitate. Additionally, don't block people out of your life, but try and gravitate to people who are ambitious because you will learn a lot from them. And when you're in that environment, you just absorb it. You just become more like that. 
Now, before I go into the four things that you can do to become more ambitious, you have to understand that ambition is not this stable thing in your life, okay? You can start off being someone really ambitious, but you can get all these blows or you could become quite anxious or depressed about something and that level of ambition is going to drop down. And then alternatively, you could start with no ambition, be around people that have no ambition and there could be certain experiences or certain actions that you take in your life that you can increase quite dramatically your level of ambition to be the most ambitious person that you know, okay? So you can always be working on it and if you've had it and lost it, you can get it back, okay? That's the beauty of it but it is not this constant thing. It's not like I'm going to get it and now it's just there. You always have to be kind of like feeding this ambition, now, when you are more ambitious, you're, you are likely, again, likely, it's a general, generalization, to have higher levels of education because you're more likely to push through hard times. You keep putting in the effort. You're likely to be more skilled in certain things. So I don't necessarily talk about academic um, education, but it could also be a skill that you've you know done your whole apprenticeship on or a trade or something like that. You're more likely to, to get to the end of that. You're also likely to bounce back a lot faster when you fall, figuratively, um, because you don't really see yourself as a victim and you, or you don't spend much time feeling like you're the victim of a situation. It's kind of like, it sucks, that was not great, but let's keep going. That's kind of the, the mindset of someone who is ambitious. You don't expect others to take responsibility for things in your life. You're better at taking full responsibility for your future and where your life is headed. You don't get stuck with this person did this to me when I was growing up, this person. It's not to say that those things haven't happened, but you don't use that as a reason to not do things with your future. Um, and you're less likely to wait around until things start to improve. You are more likely to try and improve them for yourself. Okay. And even if it doesn't work this one time, you're still going to give it a go the next time and the next time. Okay. Now, if that sounds good to you, then keep listening. These are the four ways of becoming more ambitious. Number one, and this is a really basic one. It's easy to do. You can start doing this right now. Give credit when credit is due and notice and appreciate hard work when it is there. So this comes from for yourself when you've worked hard for something, where you need credit for something, where you deserve credit for something. And it massively goes for the people around you. And the reason for this is that I don't want you sitting here and making excuses for other people's triumphs or other people's successes. If you make excuses for other people's successes, you are doing yourself a huge disservice. You are saying that their success was not in your control. So that means that success in general is not in the individual's control. Therefore, it's not in my control. That's what you're saying. So if you've got a, somebody who you see succeeded, you say, oh, they probably had their parents give them money or, oh, it's because they're hot. That's why they do well. Oh, it's because this, it's because that, it's because that. Yeah, fair enough. Some of those factors for sure might be at play. But if you think that the only reason people succeed is through luck, because they're good looking or because their parents um, gave them money and that's the only way, then you are telling yourself, why bother? I want you to start identifying hard work and, and acknowledging it. You actually feel better for it. You, I think people think if, if in my head I can justify why that person did well and why I'm not doing well, I'm going to feel better. But you don't because all you do is like, oh, there was no good reason why that person succeeded. But what have you done for yourself? Okay, you've put that person down in your head. Great, that ticks that one off. What have you done for you? Nothing. You've not gotten yourself to a more empowered 
position. You've not felt better about yourself and what you're capable of achieving because you haven't found an example of someone who's done what you're setting out to do. So all you've done is put someone down in your own mind and you've done nothing for yourself. If anything, you've confirmed the fact that the only way to succeed is through chance or luck. Okay, so start looking at the people that you normally in your mind put down and say, oh, that's why that girl. And try and identify where the work was put in or where the effort was put in and give credit for it. When you start acknowledging effort and work and resilience and the sticking power and drive in other people, then you start to realize a bit of a kind of like you start adding things together. This person's behavior has now equaled this result. And then it's for me, that's one of the most empowering things. When I look at people around me and I see what they've achieved, instead of jealousy or instead of envy, I think, wow, look at everything that they've done. And they've done it pretty consistently. And now they're where they are. That's fucking exciting. Because to me, it means that it's even more possible. I just see opportunity. When I see someone succeed and I can put it down to actual work that they've done, to me it equals this is fucking possible for you. This is so exciting. So that's number one, what I want you to do. Number two, learn to fail safely in the sense of learn to fail in an environment where you know it's okay to fail. Lack of ambition often comes from this fear of failure or not seeing the value of setting big goals. If you were brought up with people saying, play it safe, play it safe, oh, the only people, again, with this idea of not giving credit where credit's due, if you grew up in a position where where you were always told that you have to play it safe. The only reason that these people have made it is because they got everything handed to them or they, you know, they were trust fund babies or this or that. If you grew up in that environment, then you're going to be quite, uh, you're going to play it small and you might be fearful of failure because you think I can't put myself out there. I don't have all the resources that all these other people around me had. So I'm, I can't do it. And so then you're always scared. You might've been brought up in a way to just be, you know, just play it safe, have that particular job that you should be having. Don't put yourself out there too much because if you fail, it's game over. You're going to lose everything, okay? So if you have this fear of failure, then that is going to hinder your amount of ambition. So pay attention to what you fear, okay? And that might be a reason as to why you don't think you're as ambitious as you would like to be or why you don't have that level of drive that you wish that you had, okay? Lack of ambition is also linked to this not seeing the value in setting a big goal. I think a lot of people will prefer to play it safe and have that security instead of the pain of failure or the pain of humiliation if you put yourself out there and it didn't work out. But your concept of failure is going to determine how much you avoid failure. Whatever you perceive in your head failure to be is how, how much you're going to avoid it. If you look at failure as something that's inevitable, then you're less likely to avoid it. I always look at, to me, it's a numbers game. You know, always look at things as a numbers game. You're going to succeed, you're going to fail. It's all going to happen. Okay, let's just, let's just put it out there. See what sticks. Let's keep going, keep going, keep going, because something's going to stick. It's a fucking numbers game. If you only attempt something once and you think I'm going to give it one fucking shot and then you don't do well, then your idea is I fail more often than I succeed because I fucking failed at that. So fuck that. That's the kind of where your mentality is. So you want to look at failure as inevitable and it being a numbers game. There's going to be failures. There's going to be successes. And it's almost like not to expect that – exactly what you're doing right now is going to fail, but you want to expect for failure to occur in your life. Just, it's a given. And when you do that, 
you start to look at other people's failures as normal. You know, if you're so terrified at failing, then you might judge other people's failures as well. So I want you to start looking at other people's failures as like, oh yeah, it was a numbers game for them. They put themselves out there, didn't work this time. I'm interested to see what they do next. And then you can start having that opinion about yourself. But you're not going to have that opinion about yourself until you can learn to view other people's quote unquote failures in the same way. Number three, I want you to stop looking at tasks as insurmountable. If you come up with a task and you're like, oh, it's going to be so fucking hard. Oh, this, oh God, wish me luck. Oh, fuck, this is going to be fucked. Then you're more likely to pull out and not follow through with it because you've jade yourself up. You've built it up to this massive thing in your head, okay? I want you to take the fucking quote-unquote challenge or goal off the pedestal. Take it off the fucking pedestal and don't make it something so big in your head. Make it something that's, you know, it is what it is. This is what I'm setting myself out to do. And also pay attention to your language. I see, I do it myself. And when I pull myself up on the language, it's incredible that the change, with the change that happens. So for example, if I say I'm going to try and do this versus I'm doing this, there's already a change in how I behave. It's insane. It's actually insane. Because when I say, let's take drinking, for example, I had a lot of drinks in fucking Melbourne. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I drank a lot. And I'm like, you know what? That my skin doesn't feel great after all that alcohol. Um, I didn't sleep that well. So I really would just love to not drink for, you know, not one drop of alcohol for the next seven days just to kind of like just chill. Okay. And I'm not a huge drinker, but I drink and I don't want to be drinking for the next seven days. I started the first day, I was talking to my friend Luke and I said, I'm going to try and not drink for the next seven days. If I say, I'm going to try and not drink, what am I saying? What am I saying? I'm making it seem a lot bigger in my head. Like I probably can't do it, but I'll try. And then this makes me think, oh, this must be really difficult to do. You know, I'm just going to attempt it. I'm going to try my best. I'll try my best. What the fuck, especially with this, if you think about it, no one is shoving alcohol down my throat and I'm a grown adult. So I'm not even in a position where I get peer pressure. You either want to fucking drink or you don't. Okay. It is a decision. And I'm also not talking about people that have addictive behaviors here. That's completely different. I'm talking about my situation right here. If I make a decision that I'm not drinking, then I actually feel more empowered because I now realize that this is an action that I choose to do. Yes, temptation plays a massive role into it. And yes, sometimes you fall into temptation and you fall for it. Okay, fine. Okay, that happens. I failed at this one time. I'm going to try again. But if I say I'm not drinking, then I already feel way more empowered. And I already start looking at it as a done deal. I start looking at it, well, in seven days, how good am I going to feel? Oh, I can't wait for this like fresh weekend. I'm probably going to be waking up early. I'm probably going to be doing this. I'm going to feel really good. So I already look at it as a done deal. So I start looking at the positive effects of me having followed through with this thing that I'm following through with. If I say I'm going to try, then I start thinking, oh God, what if I go to an event on this day? What if I do this? What if I do that? It's like, no, it doesn't work that way, right? So pay attention to your language. Are you going to try or are you going to do it? And don't worry if you break your own promise to yourself. That happens. I'm just talking about intention. Your intention has to be stronger. If you fail at it, who cares? But it's just you started, you came out of the gates a lot stronger than if you say, I'm going to try. So whatever you're talking about, take it down from the pedestal and don't look at it as a challenge that, you, that oh, only a few people can do. No, it's doable. 
just try and equip yourself as best as you can with the language that's going to serve you as best as possible for this challenge or goal or thing that you're setting out to achieve. Now, the last one, number four, is learn to be more self-aware by logging things, okay? And this is not necess- this is not a diary as such, but I want you to start logging your time or other activities. You might not be, it might not be a time issue. It might be something else. And pay attention to what you are doing, okay? Like I said, self-awareness is huge when it comes to ambition. But if you think, for example, a lot of people say, I don't have time, okay? If you think you don't have time, then try something like time blocking. When you time block, you realize how often you normally get distracted. For example, if you've got your phone on you and your email open in a tab and notifications set up on your computer and you try and work while all that is happening, don't tell me you don't have time. Your attention is being pulled left, right and center and it's not allowing you to use the time that you do have efficiently. That is what's going on, okay? When you are trying to work on a task and get it done and if your attention is being pulled left, right and center, you are not working on the task. There is no such thing as multitasking. You are constantly switching focus. And that attention, um, your selective attention is working very hard because you're thinking, okay, that's more important right now. I've got to attend to this. Oh, now I've got to get back. I've got to attend to this. That's using up a lot of energy. And that flow state, that being in the zone thing is going to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. So when I talk about time blocking, I'm saying all notifications are off. Everything is off and just work for 30 minutes or for 45 minutes at a time. You set a timer and you do that. I've spoken about this a million times. Unless your job is actually responding to emails, then this is something that should be doable. You pick the time frame and you block it out. Notifications and having your attention pulled away is going to warp what you perceive is achievable in a certain time frame. You'll be amazed at what you can do with focused attention. It will blow your mind because most of the time, For most of us, we go through our whole lives without focused attention on a task for an extended period of time. Most of us. So then we we start thinking, oh yeah, I can do X amount in a day. Bullshit. You can probably get that done in half the time if you had focused attention. But we live in this society or in this culture or whatever you want to call it, where our attention is being pulled constantly. So every time you return back to the task, you're like, fuck, where was I? What was I doing? It's a waste of time. The same goes for, let's say you're looking at, I want to start eating a better diet. Okay. My sister was, my sister talked to me about this once. And she said that when she used to be a PT and when she used to train her clients and they would ask her to do a meal plan for them, she would say to them, I want you to log what you eat, everything that you eat for two weeks and then give that to me. And then if you can do that, I'll write you a meal plan. And often they would refuse to do it. They would be like, nah, I know what I eat. I know this, I know that. And she says, if you can't just log what you eat, then you're not going to follow a meal plan. If you don't have the self-awareness to just log it and you think you know what you're doing, then I'm not writing you a meal plan, go somewhere else. And it's very true. It's all about self-awareness and self-control. You have to be able to pay attention to what you're doing. And a lot of people want a quick fix. I'm not going to wait two weeks and log everything I eat for two weeks. Well, there's your answer then. You want a quick fix, you're doing it for the wrong reason anyway, okay? If you're here for the long haul and you want some fucking serious change, start paying attention and logging your behaviours because you can't change what you don't acknowledge for the 10th time. Tell yourself that every morning. I can't change what I don't acknowledge. Be more self-aware, okay? The beauty, in addition of self-awareness and logging, is that just by being self-aware, you're less likely to do it. There's even 
a, a treatment that's done in cognitive behavior therapy where all you have to do when it comes to compulsive behaviors, whether it's checking your phone, whether it's something that's even more compulsive that, you know, eats into your day, whether it's washing your hands again and again, whatever it is, everything that you do, you have a clicker, those little clickers with you and you click, you just have to log it. Yep. Click. I checked my phone again. Click. I did this click, 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 click. That just that action of pressing the clicker is going to make you think twice about engaging in that behavior. It makes a subconscious behavior conscious. If you're looking at what you're eating and you're like, I have to log everything I'm eating and I know that I could have just eaten half of the, that fucking bag of sour worms, which I fucking love sour worms, then I'm probably going to be a bit more aware and pay a bit more attention to why don't I just eat three sour worms instead of inhaling the whole bag? Because that's all these next click, 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 click that I have to do, right? So just by rate, like, you know, spotlight on what you're doing, you become more aware and you have more control of your own behaviors. So take food aside. Let's look at every time you check your Instagram, use a clicker or a fucking tally, or whatever it is that you want to do to track it, but track it. Just do it for two hours. How many times over a two-hour time frame am I checking my phone, or am I doing this, or am I fucking doing whatever, whatever it is, and track it. You'll be amazed at how just that behavior alone starts to curb how often you do a behavior, or how often you get distracted, or how often you're you know, eating a sour worm, okay? So that's what I want you to pay attention to. If you can do those four things, and I'm going to go over them again. Number one, give credit when credit is due. Number two, learn to fail safely in an environment where failure is inevitable and it's normal. Number three, stop looking at tasks as insurmountable. And number four is learn to be more self-aware by logging your behaviors. Then you are on the right path to become more ambitious. I can guarantee you that you are going to see changes in your level of ambition and your ability to stick something out and your ability to see the worth in working for something and sticking it out. Guys, I hope that that was helpful for you guys. Um, I hope that you can actually put these things into practice and I love it. Do you know what I love? I love it so much when you guys have used something from the podcast and then written about it on the Facebook group and spoken about how it's affected you or how it's changed your you know, your habits or your lifestyles. That just, oh my God, makes me so happy to see. So if that's you, if you're someone that has done any of these four things, even just one, and you found that it works for you, please share your experience on the Facebook group because we have a lot of people that are interested to see that or if they're a few episodes behind that it's something that they can be like, yeah, that's an episode I want to listen to as well. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the podcast, for sharing the podcast on your social media, for sharing it with your friends and family. I really appreciate it so much. You guys are the best. And I will speak to you next week. Love you so much. As always, remember, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.